As a friendly reminder, let's go ahead and recap just briefly uh, a little bit of our context here in Hebrews. Um, I'd like to remind you to go ahead and read through Hebrews once a week, if you could. Um, I'm trying to do that on, on Friday and Saturday as, as preparation for me for what we do here on Sunday mornings. It's a good way for you to get ready for Sunday morning worship by reading through the book of Hebrews once a week. So let's briefly recap just some of our context here. If you'll remember, we've talked about this a couple times. Hebrews was probably a sermon delivered in the form of a letter to a congregation that was just beginning to see some persecution in the form of uh, being ostracized from their family or their friends, uh, maybe losing their job, uh, lessening of their income. Those are the kinds of common things that begin at the beginning of persecution. They probably were not yet being killed for their faith, uh, but that would be coming for the early church. And their Christian life, the, the road was just beginning to have some bumps, and so persecution was just starting up for them. So this, this congregation in Hebrews was tempted to give up. They were being tempted to walk away from the often difficult task of following Christ. So as an encouragement to continue walking in confidence, the preacher here in Hebrews is providing a sort of an advanced course in the superiority of Jesus and his perfect sacrifice so that they would be encouraged to follow Christ with wholehearted devotion despite the fact that it was getting hard. Let me repeat that a little bit here. Hebrews is an advanced course in the superiority of Jesus and his perfect sacrifice so that you and I would be encouraged to follow Christ with wholehearted devotion, especially as the circumstances of our lives and the world around us are difficult. Hebrews is saying, like we do in our big idea there at the top of the the outline, Jesus is superior so you can follow him with what? Passion. Jesus is superior, so you can follow him with passion. It requires single-minded focus and wholehearted devotion to follow Christ when the road becomes hard. It takes that kind of wholehearted devotion when circumstances around you feel uncertain. And so Hebrews is a very modern book for us. It's a very instructive book for us as modern Christians. You see, contrary to what a lot of churches and American Christians or people that I call who are enslaved in churchianity, what a lot of churchianity people think is that you can follow Jesus with kind of a relative ease and a lack of personal sacrifice. Hebrews, I think is a little bit of a warning to say, friends, if following Christ is easy, you should be a little worried. If following Christ is easy, something's not right. In fact, I think Hebrews is saying you can't do that. You cannot be living the wholehearted Christian life if it's not requiring anything of you. Go ahead and look through your Bibles for something contrary to that. I don't think you'll find it. You will not find apathy, security, half-hearted devotion, 
You won't find those kinds of terms and ways of describing the Christian life in Scripture. That just sort of seems like the not acceptable option to the writer of Hebrews. So here in Hebrews, we must listen carefully to hear the call of God's voice beckoning us to go deeper in our walk. doesn't matter where you've been. doesn't matter how old you are. doesn't matter how young you are, how excited you are about your faith, or how not excited you are about your faith. Jesus wants to continue to take you deeper and deeper in your walk with him. That's the lesson for us today. So let's pray as we get into this here. Lord God, we, we know that we are people whose sin maligns our desires and upends what you've created, which is an order in which we glorify you as your creatures. And we have glorified and worshipped created things and people and things that distract us and push you to the margins. So, Father, we admit at the outset that we need your help. We need the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need the encouragement of other believers who have been faithful. We need time together in worship as the body of Christ so that you could continue to call us through your word to passionate, wholehearted devotion. So that, as we'll learn today, so that we would be people who feed on solid food and continue to become the people you've created us to be. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, you've probably never heard of this guy. His name is Johnny Lechner. This is Johnny Lechner. He was a perpetual student at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. He was a perpetual student who finally moved on with his life a few years ago. But it wasn't exactly by his choice, as it turned out. He was pretty much forced to graduate after not nine, not ten, not twelve, thirteen years in college. <laughs> by the time this guy graduated, he had over 250 credits and qualified to graduate with nine majors and five minors. When this guy started college, the Internet hardly existed as we know it. Acid-washed acid jeans were still cool. Actually, those were never cool. <laughs> and his most recent girlfriend was in fourth grade when he started college. Even during his last year of college... Johnny Lechner apparently still dressed like a poster child for Abercrombie and Fitch. He still went to college parties. He ran for student body president on a platform of his obviously extensive college experience. He lost. And apparently he was looking forward to going on two spring break trips his senior year. He was obviously a bit of an overachiever. He went on a couple late-night talk shows around the country, and became kind of famous at the time. He clarified on those late-night talk shows that he liked college because he enjoyed the carefree lifestyle and the avoidance of real-world responsibilities, just in case you were unsure, I guess. For Johnny Lechner in college, staying in the same place 
had become a perpetual comfort zone. College had become his perpetual comfort zone. For the believer in Christ, perpetual comfort zones become prisons of spiritual atrophy. And it doesn't matter how old or young you are. It doesn't matter if you've been a believer as long as you can remember. Many of us cannot even remember when we first became Christians because it seems like we always have been. And it doesn't matter if you've been following Christ for just a few months. It's a temptation for all of us to be in a perpetual comfort zone in our spiritual lives. According to our passage today in Hebrews, being in a perpetual comfort zone ends up looking spiritually a little bit like these guys at the table. Hello. Thank you. What can I get you? I'm going to have the number three with juice. Juice. Okay. I'm going to have the famous healthy others. All the strawberry apple puffs, please. And large milk, skim. And for you, sir. I'm going to go with the steak. What? trying to lose weight, so I feel a little bit like those guys. I'll just have the uh, kids' menu stuff, please. Uh, Johnny Lechner may look like that in a few years. <clears throat> I found this story about Johnny Lechner in a favorite book of mine. <clears throat> this book talks about how churches must take seriously their call to develop disciples. Uh, it's a book I'd like to encourage you to read. As some of you may already know where I'm going with this, it's called Simple Church. And it talks about how churches are called to develop mature disciples. That everything we do as the body of Christ is supposed to be about that. There are still uh, eight or nine copies available to check out in our library for the record. So uh, let's listen to how Simple Church explains what this has to do with churches. It tells the story of this Johnny Lechner guy. He says this, While many think Johnny's situation is ridiculous, are not many churches structured the same way? In these churches, people remain in the same place spiritually for years. Sometimes they remain in the same groups. Sometimes they are kept in some kind of a spiritual holding tank. They rarely, listen to this, they rarely move to greater levels of commitment in their faith. They are in a perpetual comfort zone. 
Healthy churches fight the Johnny Lechner syndrome. If there is something that we, as people who still are affected by the sin in our lives, if there's something we have to fight as Christians, as believers, it's fighting against institutionalized immaturity. Hebrews says this is serious, serious business. We must become people and churches who are constantly attentive to hearing God's voice. And in our passage today, look at verse 11 for just a second. In 5.11, Hebrews says that arrested development in spiritual matters is akin to what the Hebrews writer is saying is dullness of hearing in verse 11. Friends, the, the, the author of Hebrews knows all about the hazard. There are people listening to this sermon in Hebrews who were tempted to give up, to draw back because the going was getting tough. They were tempted to stay at the level of a baby dependent on someone else to feed them. And so the word of God speaking to them through Hebrews is imploring them and us to continue to continue to move on toward maturity. It doesn't mean you haven't reached maturity. It doesn't mean you're still drinking milk. It means that's the goal for us all, to continue to become who God made us to be. We'll talk about that more in just a second here. This is exactly why here at First Christian Church, in leadership, we've talked about movement. We've begun to talk about movement a lot. We want to be intentional about moving us beyond where we are to where God's called us to be. That doesn't mean that you've never known Jesus. It doesn't mean you're not mature yet. It doesn't mean your previous church ministry was for naught and didn't count. It just means that we are always, at all times, as the body of Christ, doesn't matter where we've come from, doesn't matter who we are, where we grew up, what brand of church how much scripture you know, we are all called to continue to become the person God made us to be. And so we want to be intentional about that kind of movement here at First Christian Church, that we are moving people to greater and greater levels of spiritual commitment and maturity in their walk with God. That's why we talk about celebrating God, cultivating growth, and communicating the gospel. Because we are called to live that kind of life. Now, this issue is of such critical importance, even in Hebrews, that the author takes a pause from what he was talking about before. He takes a pause. Remember, we introduced the idea of Jesus as the great high priest last week. We talked about the Old Testament background for that. But this week, the preacher in Hebrews is saying, now now hold on just a second. There's more to do. But first, we have to just, we have to pause for just a moment. He uses a tactic that's well known to many of you who have been teachers for any amount of time. It's the, oh, but you probably don't want to hear about that tactic. It's when the teacher comes to a critical point in the lesson, an exciting and a deep truth, but then merely introduces what's coming next, dangling the carrot, and then just says, oh, But you probably don't want to hear about that, do you? 
The preacher here in Hebrews is putting uh, sort of pretend dunce caps on the hearers and provoking them to move on by openly challenging their capacity to go deeper. I've done this in youth ministry for years. It's kind of like as a guy with sports. When you challenge some competitive teenage boy who's kind of full of himself by saying something like, hey, you want to play a game of ping pong? Because I'm pretty sure I could uh, whip you. It's the same kind of thing. Well, any you know, red-blooded teenage male who's full of himself will step up to the plate and, and proceed to lose to me in ping pong, of course. <laughs> now, not that that's a true story or anything like that. Now, at first glance, we read these verses in Hebrews 5, 11 to 14, and, 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 and you just kind of think, yikes. Those are strong, rebuke kinds of words. And they are. But follow along with he, me for a little bit here in that first section from 5.11 to 14 as we explain what's going on here. It says this, about this we have much to say. About this, in other words, about that matter that was introduced in 5.10 in Hebrews. That matter of Christ as the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain. In other words, it's sort of difficult to interpret. It gets, it gets complicated at this point a little bit, because there's a lot of background, a lot of, a lot of Jewish knowledge that the Hebrews needed to have there to move forward in their thinking. And so it's a little bit difficult to understand. We have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Now, that word there for dull of hearing, it means basically just slow and sluggish in their memory. It means sluggish in their remembrance. The issue of hearing God's voice and remembering him is a big issue for us in Hebrews. We've talked about it three or four times already. Up to this point, it's one of the main themes in Hebrews, how we hear God's voice. 1-1, one, one, the very beginning of Hebrews, this theme of hearing and listening is introduced. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. It's the very first verse. It says, God's speaking. He's speaking to us just like he did before, but this time it's with his son. And so in, in, in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. In 3.7, it says, today, if you hear his voice, if you remember, the, the Jews were at the precipice of promise, almost ready to go into the promised land. And the psalm says, if you hear his voice, then you will enter God's rest. In 3.7, it says, today, if you hear his voice. It repeats that same phrase in 3.15 and in 4.7. And then in 4.2, Hebrews warns, for good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Hebrews is warning us all the way up to this point, don't be dull of hearing don't be dull of remembering what God's voice sounds like. Verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, this word here for teachers is not an official church leadership kind of position. It's the ability to teach in general terms that Hebrews is saying is an expectation of the congregation generally. In other words, you have been Christians long enough. 
to be informed and bold witnesses. By this time, you ought to be discipling others, it's saying. It harkens back to the reason we exist as a church, to make disciples. So, uh, back to the text. Though by this time you ought to be teachers, the next phrase says, you need someone to teach you. In other words, Hebrews is saying, you should already be self-feeding disciples. But someone still has to teach you. Teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. This just means the basic teachings of Christianity. Mostly, those things listed here in 6, 1-2 in our passage. Things like repentance from dead works and faith toward God, instructions about baptisms, the laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, those kinds of things are those basic principles of the oracles of God. And then at the end of 12 and beginning of verse 13, it says this, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Milk and solid food here, were common terms in the educational system at the time. It referred to levels of educational development. The text, in fact, it literally reads, you have become someone who continues to need milk. You've become someone depending on milk and not solid food. They were stuck at a Johnny Lechner stage of spiritual development. And they hadn't graduated. Now, it seems pretty clear here that there's a strong warning in Hebrews. And that's true. Hebrews is warning them because apparently some of them were becoming dull of hearing. They already ought to be teachers. And yet they needed someone to teach again the basic principles. In other words, some of them were acting like children in that they were not the teachers who were witnessing to the power of the gospel. But, Scripture is always read within a context. And we must not forget the context of our passage today. This isn't just a stern rebuke, though it is that. It's also a challenge and an encouragement to that congregation to continue to move forward. To move beyond where they were to where God wanted to take them. It's a challenge to continue to raise the level of what they're eating to something that is solid food. Look at 5.14. It says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. In other words, friends, mature believers can handle the solid food of advanced teaching on Christ. And that kind of maturity, it takes practice. It takes time. It requires consistent instruction and attention to the hearing of God's voice. Look at 6, 1 to 3 here. He encourages the people to move on. He says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God, and of instruction about baptisms, washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. 
He is, in fact, encouraging them. Look at verse 9 for just a second in chapter 6 here. It says, though we speak in this way, in other words, though I gave you a stern rebuke, he says, in your case, beloved, in your case, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. I've saved our big idea for the sermon here kind of till the end so that you can see that today's passage within the context of Hebrews, is an argument for something that we're talking a lot about in leadership here at First Christian. This is a call. This is a call for movement toward the goal of maturity. Those are the blanks there in your outline. Our goal, and this isn't just for you as an individual or for us as a congregation, it's for us as a congregation and for you as an individual. Our goal is continued movement toward maturity. The development of believers calls for a process by which they move from a state of immaturity to maturity that is grounded in faithful teaching of God's Word. So friends, we must continue to grow as a congregation, to become the kind of place where our main, main goal is to develop passionate followers of Jesus. It's not a goal of dunking people in water and leaving them to learn to swim by themselves. It's not a goal of having a big VBS program or a lot of people in the pews or a lot of people in our Sunday school classes, or being really good at visitation, or simply giving a lot toward missions. Those are good things. But we must see every piece of the ministry we do at First Christian Church as a part of that process. If it doesn't have anything to do with that process, why do we waste time, energy, and money to do it? If it's not about developing disciples, you can find somebody else to be your pastor. Because I don't want to waste my life with a lot of busy activity that doesn't develop disciples. Hebrews is saying, we've got to become people who are a part of a body of believers where the development of mature believers is the main and only goal. It's a much harder to achieve and yet much more important, larger goal of intentionally moving people toward greater levels of discipleship. It's our goal as a church. It's our goal as Christians. Maturity means you don't stop short at nibbling on someone else's diet of solid food for an hour a week in worship. Let me repeat that. Maturity means you don't stop short of nibbling on someone else's diet of solid food for an hour a week in worship. It means this is your food. And if a day goes by where you're not eating on it and dependent upon it to motivate who you are, then you're missing out. 
It means more than simply being someone who calls oneself a disciple. It means being a disciple maker. That's what God's calling us to be. We are making people who make disciples. 1 Timothy 2, 2 is, is a great verse that says this exact kind of thing. Paul is instructing Timothy how to carry on the teachings he's received. Paul was the mentor in the faith for Timothy. And in 2 Timothy 2, 2, it says this. It says, Paul's talking to Timothy, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's a process, and it keeps going. It's development of disciples. And it's why we want to do four things here at First Christian. It's why, number one, we want to be crystal clear about our mission. It's to develop people who live a 3C life. People who love to celebrate who God is and his work in our lives. People who are worshipers, celebrating God, who also cultivate in their life, by themselves and with others, a relationship with God and with one another that helps them to grow. Cultivate growth is the middle of our mission for a reason. It's what takes us along this process. We are cultivating places in our heart where growth happens. You're doing it right now. You are verse 9 of chapter 6 people who are cultivating growth in their lives by your presence here. And then also we are people who communicate the gospel. That third C is something that we don't just stop short at. It's something we are doing the whole time. All of us living as three C disciples. So number one, we want to be clear about that mission. Number two, we want to be intentional about moving people through that mission. We want to be intentional about what happens when somebody comes in those doors and they come to our church and they, they, they're checking us out and they, they don't know anybody. We want to befriend them. We want to bring them through this process. We want to be people who help them as teachers that we ought to be. Number two, we want to be intentional about moving people through the stages of that mission. And then number three, it's why we want to align. We want to align our ministries around that mission of developing disciples. Clear about the mission, moving people through that mission, aligning all of our ministries around that mission, and then four, focusing on that goal of developing disciples. Instead of all of the white noise of activity and busyness in our lives, that detract from that most important goal. There was a preacher whose family was on vacation one spring, and they were driving from Fort Lauderdale to Tampa, Florida. If you've been on that stretch, you know that as far as you can see, there are orange trees loaded with fruit. This preacher writes about stopping for breakfast where he ordered some orange juice with his eggs. The waitress said, I'm sorry, we don't have orange juice. Um, our machine is broken. <laughs> the preacher says, at first I was dumbfounded 
we were surrounded by millions and millions of oranges. And I knew they had oranges in the kitchen. They had orange slices that garnished our plates. The problem wasn't that they didn't have juice. Hardly. We were surrounded by thousands, maybe millions of gallons of juice. The problem was they had become dependent on a machine to get it. Perpetual comfort zones in our spiritual lives are like that. We may be surrounded by Bibles in our homes. But if something should happen to the Sunday morning service, for most people in our churches in America, they have no nourishment for their souls. The problem is not a lack of spiritual food. The problem is that many Christians haven't grown enough to know how to feed themselves. May we continue to become the kind of place where we are all developing in our own lives the quality of maturity so that we can feed ourselves solid food. Let's pray. Lord, we know we've all had times when we coasted on a diet of, of milk and not solid food. Some of us have a pattern of life where that's the case. Lord, we admit to you that our sin gets in the way and that we are people whose brokenness keeps us from becoming who you've called us to be. And so we just ask in the quietness of this moment that your Holy Spirit would renew in us the strength and the power to continue to become people who feed on a diet of solid food. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. If you're looking for a church home as a baptized believer in Christ, I want to invite you to join us at First Christian Church and to place membership with us. Or if you'd like to name Jesus as your Lord and Savior publicly in the waters of baptism, we'd like to invite you as we stand to sing.